0: Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors.
1: My name is Cecily Wong. My new book is called Gastro Obscura, A Food Adventurer's Guide. I am the co-author along with Dylan Thuris, and it's out now.
0: Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that truly stunning surround yourself with beautiful elements of nature when you're cooking dining and entertaining and make nature home visit bloomers.com and use the code cookery20 to get 20 percent off your first purchase or click the link in the show notes now on with the show Gastro Obscura is the follow-up to the number one New York Times bestseller, Atlas Obscura. I'm a big fan of Atlas Obscura. Um, So can you define Atlas Obscura before we dive into Gastro Obscura?
1: of course so nice that you're a fan i i also love atlas obscure that's how i came to the company it's it's a website but it's essentially just this giant database of things to see places to visit things to eat it's organized like an atlas online so that wherever you are you can find a place near you and we focus on the the obscure and the wacky and the the overlooked and little known so all of these places usually have some kind of unusual usual angle to them and one of the coolest things about atlas obscura is that most of these entries are user submitted so we have this huge community that kind of writes to us every day and says check out this crypt and and we do and it usually ends up on on the map so that you can check it out as well
0: so gastro obscura is a treasure trove of extraordinary foods hidden histories astounding experiences and obscure culinary traditions with over 500 entries that span all seven continents and 50 states. So this is perfect for the holiday gift for that foodie in your life who has everything. This book is a celebration of diversity through the lens of food. I love that you always focus on the hidden stories and subjects. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. What's really fun about this book is, as you said, it's 500 entries. It's huge. It spans the entire globe, but it's also filled with stories about foods that we actually already know and are are common to us, but they have these very obscure, little known histories. I like to talk about the pineapple. We all eat pineapple. We all know about it, but it's got this amazing history. When it first came to England, it was the most sought after fruit. It was extremely expensive. It was a status symbol. You could rent a pineapple pineapple for a party so that you could just have it as a showpiece and others would be impressed. And then you would give it back and whoever owned the pineapple would sell it to someone who was richer than you to actually eat. And so the book is filled with these kind of fun stories about foods that we already know about, as well as foods that are, are completely obscure and I'd never heard of in my life.
0: I think Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip got a bunch of pineapples when they got married.
1: That makes a lot of sense. They've, they've since come to mean kind of hospitality. That's why you see pineapples on like wallpaper and, and you know, lamps shaped like pineapples. It's got this, um, this welcome vibe now.
0: So as we said, there's so much in this book. So for this episode, I'd like to cover five surprising facts found in Gastro Obscura. Okay, number one, Norway has the highest annual per capita pizza consumption of any nation on
1: Earth. What? I know it's really surprising. It's not the obvious choice. They eat 50 million pizzas every year, um, which is the most per capita of any country. And I think the most surprising thing is that 47 million of them are frozen. They have a deep love for frozen pizza.
0: That's what got me. I can't figure that out. And then I looked into it a little bit, and the brand that kills all the other brands in the frozen pizza aisle is called Grandiosa, which I'd never heard of. But that's so odd that they're way into frozen pizza.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's really wild, and they have a very Norwegian specific way of eating it. Their their classic pie is is tomato sauce, Jarlsberg cheese, and paprika. That's just classic classic Norway. Why yes, and then, yeah, exactly <laughs> our favorite. Um, and then they they like to they like to bake it, and then they drizzle ketchup over the top. What? Yeah, I know. Not for me. But I can see I can see how ketchup would be seen as a accompaniment to pizza, I suppose.
0: Wow. Number two, spam was illegal in South Korea until the 1980s.
1: Yes, it was until until they started manufacturing spam in South Korea. It was illegal. You had to get it at these outpost stores that were only for American soldiers. And so there was a lot of black market trading for spam. Basically, a lot of South Koreans started eating spam during the Korean War when there wasn't wasn't a lot of meat in the country, but there was a lot of meat on the American bases. And so a lot of Koreans would go to these American bases and line up for essentially the soldiers' leftovers or they'd look through the trash to see what they could find. And, And a lot of what they found was... Canned Americana, like Spam, hot dogs, processed cheese, canned beans, and so all of these things they began to cook with, and they made a stew with these American products, but also with like kimchi and gochujang and vegetables, and it's called um, budejigei, and which essentially means um, army based stew, and it's still a super popular dish in Korea right now. Um, there, there are restaurants that just specialize in it. And so a lot of Koreans had this like serious taste for spam even after the war and it was illegal. They couldn't buy it. And so they would they would go to great lengths to secure this spam so that they could make this stew that they'd kind of grown fond of.
0: So number three, honey was used by the Persian army to defeat the Romans in
1: 67 BCE. This was probably the craziest thing I learned. This is one of the craziest things that I learned too. Um, Weaponized honey. Basically, this this is a honey that specifically is made in the Black Sea region of Turkey because there's a kind of rhododendron that has a neurotoxin that when bees eat it and then produce their honey, it can have psychological effects. And so... It, as you said, in 67 BCE, the Romans were invading what is now Turkey, and um, King Mithridates and his men were trying to fend them off. And so what they did is they placed honeycombs along the Romans' path, this kind of special mad honey. And the Romans ate it, and the paralysis kind of set in, and they lost kind of physical and mental capacity. And then Mithridates and his men came back, and they killed all the Romans. And it's, I think, like a thousand Romans were killed because of honey. Any related death.
0: So, I guess this only comes from just a couple of species of rhododendron.
1: Yes, exactly. They only a couple species that grow specifically on these steep cliffs around the Black Sea contain this neurotoxin.
0: And it also causes a sharp burning pain in the throat. That's fun.
1: Yeah, doesn't that sound great? That sounds wonderful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you can buy this online, apparently, for over $100 a pound.
1: Yes, you can. It exists. And I'm I'm not going to say that I'm not interested. Like, it depends on how much you take. And if you take a small amount like Europeans would, it's supposed to just have very mild effects and you kind of loosen up. But then you take usually over a tablespoon. And that's when things start getting a little too loose.
0: <laughs> okay. You can try it first.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. We can <laughs> split a bottle. <laughs> yes.
0: So number four, I love this. There's an annual black tie ceremony modeled after the Academy Awards that recognizes Indian restaurants.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. It is genuinely modeled after the American Academy Awards. They call it the Curry Oscars, or I guess David Cameron calls it the Curry Oscars. And it's the Black Tie Affair, and they're honoring the best in Curry across the UK. And they televise it. It's syndicated across Europe, Australia, the Middle East. It's a big deal. It's held in London every year.
0: If you Google the British Curry Awards, you can see last year's awards. It's really cool. That seems worth watching.
1: I would like to see that.
0: Champagne, which we all love, most of us love, uh, was once thought to be an energy drink.
1: You know, I keep saying these are all my favorite stories. This might be my favorite story. It starts in London during the London Olympic Marathon. It's 1908. It's a super hot day. And 55 runners begin and only 27 actually cross the finish line because so many of them are drunk. They keep drinking champagne and dropping out of the race because for a really long time, people thought that champagne and wine was better at hydrating athletes than water. And so at this London Olympic Marathon, like the front runner he's winning the race and then he gets too hot and then they offer him some champagne he takes it and then like soon after he's passed out and then someone else takes the lead and he's got like a two mile lead and then he also accepts the champagne and he's out of the race <laughs> and it's it's a ava- and then and then so there's there's champagne, but people also are gurgling brandy. Brandy is also thought to be this rejuvenating liquor for marathons. And they don't fare that well either. The the front runner ends up being this italian pastry chef who drinks throughout and by the time he reaches the end he's like in terrible shape he's getting his heart massaged by medics he's running the wrong way and he actually gets supported across the line by a medic which means that they actually take his gold medal away and they give it to the next person Um, and it's just it's (laughs) just a mess yeah it's it's amazing to think that this is a live spectator event. you're watching these people just get absolutely soused and then and then just struggling to make it across. but this was i mean this was considered standard practice giving athletes alcohol, even later in the Paris games, I think in nineteen twenty four they restocked all the hydration stations with wine instead of water,
0: they called it rejuvenating effervescence
1: like what? <laughs> It's crazy. I mean, it sounds great. Who doesn't love champagne? But like, my God, there's there's no way that I'm running a marathon and thinking champagne. I mean, unless I'm dropping out, like it's my decision to stop.
0: Then you're getting that glass.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and probably the brandy as well.
0: Gastro Obscura is a trip around the world with photos and descriptions of unique foods categorized by location. A wonderful addition to a foodie or world traveler's coffee table. The desire to eat and travel go hand in hand. Did you take any trips over the summer or do you have any travel planned for this year?
1: I recently moved to Oregon where I grew up as a kid. I've been in Brooklyn for the last 15 years and I had I had a baby this year and there hasn't been a lot of travel we've been kind of sticking around oregon and and eating a lot around here but in terms of larger travel i have a mounting list of places that i'm excited to go to um, as soon as it's time both um with with a baby and in the world
0: so now to my segment called dream dinner party where i ask you who would you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why and for this segment it can only be one person
1: This is a great and hard question and I'm going to choose Haruki Murakami, the novelist and writer. I love him. I'm primarily a fiction writer and he's one of my favorite novelists, but I also just love the way he writes about food. It's so simple and it's so alluring, you know, a character opens the fridge and makes a sandwich and I want to open the fridge and make a sandwich. And I usually do. And I just think it would be so great to eat with him and, and see what he has to say about you know whatever it is we're eating
0: where can we find you on the web and social media
1: I am on Twitter at Cecily Ann Wong. I am also at CecilyWong.com, and you can find us at AtlasObscura.com, which will also get you to gastro.
0: To purchase Gastro Obscura and support the podcast, head on over to CookeryByTheBook.com. And thanks so much, Cecily, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This
0: was great. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.